Welcome to Analyst Talk with Jason Elder. It's like coffee with an analyst, or it could be whiskey with an analyst reading a spreadsheet, linking crime events, identifying a series, and getting the latest scoop on association news and training. So please don't beat that analyst and join us as we define the law enforcement analysis profession one episode at a time. Thank you for joining me. I hope many aspects of your life are progressing. My name is Jason Eller, and today our guest has four years of law enforcement analysis experience with 10 years of law enforcement experience overall. She works at Clay County Sheriff's Office just outside of Jacksonville, Florida. She's here to talk about starting a unit and hiring. Please welcome Mandy Colley. Mandy, how are we doing? I'm great. How are you? I am doing well. All right, fellow Floridian, uh, it's good to have you on the show. Looking forward to your perspective uh, as a manager of an analyst unit. Oh, thank you for having me. All right. Excellent. So how did you discover the law enforcement analysis profession? Uh, So funny story. I actually was the supervisor of the Uniform Crime Reporting Unit here at our um, sheriff's office. And I was moved over to a new building uh, where I was housed in the supervisor's Um, hallway with a lady who was supervising our crime analysis unit. So I got to know her very well and she kind of showed me some of the things that they were doing. I was very interested in that and we got to experience the election of a new sheriff. So that was kind of (laughs) exciting and so some changes happened and our former supervisor of the crime analysis unit moved on to some new things. Mm -hmm. And so there was an opening and they asked me if I was interested in taking it and I jumped in head first. (laughs) Nice. Nice. So let's go back a little bit farther. How did you even get to Clay County Sheriff's office even in record? (laughs) So I had went back to school in December, 2010, when the economy crashed, I had been working for the state and Mm -hmm. I was looking for something to do. I went back to school and got my degree in supervision and management and luckily landed a job here at the sheriff's office. The first year I was here, I was a staff assistant to one of our captains. And with my degree, he said, I think you would be interested in a position coming open as the records manager. So I was like, oh, okay, that don't sound that hard. So I applied (laughs) for that position. (laughs) Little did I know there was a lot involved with that. And I applied for that position and luckily was able to get that position. So I started researching all the things that a records manager does in the state of Florida. And whoo, boy, (laughs) it was a little more than I anticipated. Yeah, the whole quality control, that always drove me nuts as an analyst working for a police department. And you just people constantly questioning the data. And yeah. from from my vantage point as an analyst to, I can only really report on what comes down the pipe in terms of an ETL process or what comes, comes into our database. And it's, it was always frustrating to me, this whole idea of constantly trying to validate the data. And so from your vantage point, though, you're a little closer to the action here in terms of trying to ensure that the UCR and these records are are accurate. So, so I guess what were some, what were some of the challenges that you were dealing with at, at this time when you're when you're first starting? Because you, you mentioned that, hey, this is a lot more in depth than what what you expected. Yeah. So after I re- um, took over the records unit, I was there for about a year and a half. And um, then we separated out some units and I was over the uniform crime reporting unit. And that unit was responsible for every piece of data that comes through the sheriff's office. And Mm -hmm. so just being the person that I am, I like for things to be correct. So I really didn't understand how much that data, how important it was to be correct, even in that sense, just like, okay, hey, it's just my job to make sure it's done. But when I moved Mm -hmm. into the crime analysis side, and like you said, you're constantly pulling statistics for everything. It really became apparent how important it is to make sure that that data was right. But one of the biggest challenges that we had at the time that I took over that unit was that we were transitioning from the summary data that the FBI was taking to what they call incident-based reporting. And it's a lot more involved. So that was a five-year project, supposedly. Mm. I would just like to say that as of today, around four o'clock right before I jumped on with you, we actually submitted our first set of live data 
to FDLE to go to the FBI. So it actually wow. turned out to be like an eight-year project. Wow. <laughs> but I'm so happy I've... to say that, yeah, that we got it all done. And we're still working through some of that errors of data correction and things like that, that the deputies on the road were still getting used to. So that's still a big challenge for us is the new way that this all goes into the FBI. Yeah. So is that NIBRS or is that something different? Yes, sir. It's NIBRS. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. So then you're, all right, that was my next question. Like who's entering the data and what's the records management system and all, how all that is, is getting there. Cause it is quite a challenge when you're dealing with so many different data sets and so much data c coming in as to, to uh, make sure that each record is accurate. Yeah, so we use Central Square um, for our records management system. And some of the challenges that we faced here was that Florida has some things that we define that the FBI has a different definition for. Mm -hmm. So that was a challenge as well. Our burglary to autos, the FBI does not recognize burglary to autos. It's just a theft from a motor vehicle. Mm -hmm. So that some challenges like that, that we were able to overcome with Central Square's help. They were able to rewrite some stuff for us and some things like that. So even though we're still transitioning with our data, we're still finding a couple of errors that Central Square is able to help us with. Okay. So do you, your record management system, do you describe it, describe it as RMS or is it rms -y? <laughs> Do I have to answer that question? <laughs> It's, it's a little it's messy at times. Yeah. 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 It's funny. I, I have had one guest uh, on the show that said that she loves her RMS, um, and, but it's a homegrown one. So it's basically customized oh. to, to her liking. So I think that's why she likes right. it so much. Right. All right. Right. I don't know a whole lot of people who can say that they like their RMS system, honestly, Jason. <laughs> the, the struggle then as you're dealing with your fairly new to the job, managing these folks, coming in as a civilian and trying to work with these sworn officers to get data right. How did you acclimate to that, being in that position? Uh, it was a little bit of a struggle, but I bribed all of our deputies with like candy and <laughs> donuts nice. and things like that. Like, okay, hey, I need this done. So I got some Snickers bars if you guys get this right. And uh, just some small incentives like that mm -hmm. <laughs> to um, make friends in that yeah. department. And a lot of our guys though, as soon as we explained why we needed certain data and why we needed it to be correct, they were like, oh, we thought we were just filling out these boxes and nobody was ever looking at them. So yeah. they really bought into the process very quickly when they knew what we were trying to do with that data. Good. Before we go on to your moving on to the crime analysis unit, in terms of your time there with managing the, the UCR, what is there something you're particularly proud of or is there a story that you like to tell? Yeah, so when I first took over the unit, we only had four analysts and they had been here for a while. Two of them had been here for a very long time and two of them were relatively new. So coming in as a new supervisor and really having no idea what <laughs> I was getting into, I really expected that we would get some help from from some of those analysts and we kind of got some kickback. And so through probably about a good year of <laughs> heartache and just some rough, rough days, those analysts ended up moving on to other positions. And so we had to totally rebuild this unit from the ground up. And at all of this is going on at the same time, we had a new sheriff. So we weren't real sure of the direction that our analyst unit was going to go. So we started off with bringing in one of the ladies who had worked for me previously. She transitioned over to a crime analyst and it was just me and her for about six months. So just two brand new people trying to figure out crime analysis was real fun. We were able to quickly hire five more analysts. And in the last year, we have went from basically that infancy to adulthood very quickly. And I'm super proud of that, that those ladies jumped in and just ran with this unit. And we are just going strong. So I'm super proud of that. Yeah, it's a big, it's a big leg up to come from records, I feel. Once you go from, <laughs> when you know the data, like you, what to expect. Right. And it's just like, oh, I know when you're looking at your databases on the crime analysis side, you're like, oh, wait, I've, I know that data's there. Like, why are we not getting that data? Whereas if you're, mm -hmm. you have no expectation, you don't know what is there. You don't even know what questions to ask. That's what people, people that are 911 
dispatchers before their analysts that were like, yeah, I know we have that in the CAD. Like, we just need to go get it kind of thing. So I would imagine the same thing with you. You're dealing with all these records. You you know exactly how they're being created in the records management system. So on your end, you know exactly what you should and shouldn't be getting in terms of the crime analysis side. Exactly. And it definitely did give me a leg up coming from the record side. So like you said, we got a more in-depth training, so to speak, on our records management system because we were in records. Uh, so some of the people in our agency don't get that experience. They only know the very bare minimum and they kind of just pluck around where coming from the record side, I was able to pull data that other people didn't even know we had sitting in there. Like, oh, I didn't even know we had that box. So taking over this unit and knowing the system from previous experiences here at the Sheriff's Office was a huge help, um, especially since the other five ladies that we hired were brand new into our agency, so they did not know mm. our records management system. So yeah, that really, really gave me a good leg up there. Yeah. Now, you said there were five new ones. Were they, and you might have said this and I just didn't pick it up, are you replacing certain positions or were you just expanding the unit? Both. So we did, okay. we replaced four analysts that had been here previously and with the challenges that we were facing with a growing community our county is growing very rapidly here and as jacksonville pushes closer into our county we were having a lot more issues than we used to we were able to transition two of our ucr analyst positions over to crime analyst positions so that gave me a total of six so we were able to bring in five brand new people to our agency and then we brought one over from a different position yeah Hmm. So you're still fairly, fairly new in terms of the the sheriff's office and and even managing as a whole mm -hmm. when you start this position with crime analysis manager as manager. So I'm curious, you mentioned your degree in mm -hmm. in management and how do you feel that that degree helped you as you're in the, these beginning stages of of management? Yeah, so that's a funny question because I used to think, man, this is not helping me at all. I did not learn anything about this. <laughs> so the one thing it did give me was the expectation from the command staff here. Like, hey, you have a degree in this. You you went to school for this for four years. You've got this handled. And all I could think was, man, when I was taking those HR classes, they really did not prepare me for <laughs> dealing with people's <laughs> different people's personalities and things like that. It gave me the book mm -hmm. smarts, but the the actual being here and on the job training was better than any book I had. But um, yeah, that degree actually did give me um, a good starting point because I was able to, in class, you sit there and you go through these scenarios and you play the supervisor and you play the disgruntled employee and it's all kind of <laughs> laughing and joking. And mm -hmm. But in all reality, it did give me a little bit of insight because some of those role-playing things were actually several of the scenarios that I've faced here at the Sheriff's Office as a manager. So. And and I do want to get in, we'll get into later in terms of just some hiring aspects, but I just want to keep on the unit as, as for now in terms of let's, let's go on to you're putting a unit together, you're getting people hired. What problems are you trying to solve? You talked about the growing community. So is there certain crime trends that you're seeing that you're trying to curb? What, what, what are you trying to to do what's your, what's your goals yeah so here in our county we were a pretty rural county for the most part and now as we're getting kind of that urban sprawl you're starting to see a lot of things that we didn't in the past and one of the things mm -hmm. that we have a really big problem with here is the burglary to autos um we're a very trusting county so a lot of people just leave their cars unlocked with their keys in them <laughs> which is not the greatest idea now and probably people in bigger cities are like what you do what mm -hmm. but yeah so that's one of our bigger ones is just these teenagers that are coming around these neighborhoods at two or three o'clock in the morning, putting on door handles. And if their car's unlocked, they're going through it and getting whatever they want out of it. So that's mm -hmm. one of our, I don't want to say lesser crimes, but one of the things that's not necessarily a huge issue for people, it's just an inconvenience. They're not hurting people necessarily. Mm -hmm. And then we have cell phone towers all around our county that are being hit, which a lot of the counties around us are having the same issue. These count, these sites don't have surveillance systems or anything like that. So literally they're walking in, cutting all the copper wire and taking batteries. And they basically can stay there as long as they want because nobody's raising any red flags that somebody's in there because nobody knows they're there. And then the hmm. biggest one that we're trying to curb right now in our counties, like I said, we have a lot of growth. So we have multiple subdivisions with homes under construction and kind of the same thing that we're seeing with the cell phone towers. There's obviously no surveillance systems in these subdivisions that are brand new. So when 
the suppliers are dropping off bundles of lumber and rebar, or they bring in their appliances. There's really nobody to check up, check up on them and see if they're being installed or anything like that. So we're starting to see, or we are seeing an increase in burglaries to our homes under construction. Yeah. So, so let's go back let's, to the cell tower stuff. Cause that usually those cell towers is that's hush hush information. Like the cell phone <laughs> companies don't want to give out information on where their towers are. And obviously if you're driving around, you can look up and see the tower. Um, but I'm, I'm surprised though, that there's not, not any surveillance, but I would have thought that if a cell tower went out, that somebody would be either calling the, the cell phone company <laughs> yes. or the, the cell phone company would have some something to say if the whole tower went out. So a few of the towers that we have had issues with would be like one of the major carriers and they have actually put like alarms on the ground wires of those towers. So if they get cut, an alarm goes off to them. So at least we have some jumping off points of at least a time frame. Mm -hmm. uh, but a lot of these towers, at least in our area, are sitting in like cow pastures, uh, or a very rural area with planted pine. So you can't necessarily, we don't have the infrastructure for internet sure. for cameras and things like that. Mm -hmm. So it makes them very easy targets. And like you said, you, you just drive around, you can figure out how to get into them. So we have that kind of issue with the surveillance side of it. Hmm. That's a, that's an interesting problem to try <laughs> to solve, right? Cause you can put a little bit of surveillance, but even if, if it's way out in the middle of a, <laughs> For, yeah, forest or, or cow pasture. I mean, yeah. even if the cops are called right now, it's going to take them a minute to get down there kind of thing. So that's yeah. that's interesting problem to to try to solve. Is is the copper from it? Is it a particular? I, this might be a little bit too much information for you. I don't know. But I was just trying to think. It's like, is that copper wire different from normal copper wire that you that that you might see in a house or or whatnot in terms of that is that that product is it is it unique looking is basically what i'm asking i do believe so i believe it's a lot thicker than what you mm -hmm. would have just running in your house and then of course yeah. you have the issue that a lot of times they're stealing like the whole spool of it because mm -hmm. the company keeps like extra spools there in case they have issues and they can just oh. fix them right there so so not only are they taking what's at the tower making the tower work they're also taking like the extra spools of it which that has to be a really heavy spool. So I can't imagine how they're really getting all of that out of there with yeah. just one or two people. It's got to be a lot, but yeah. yes. And right now, farmer with his wire, tractor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> taking his cow. and copper there for a little bit was definitely higher in the resale value of mm -hmm. it. So it kind of ebbs and flows. So we kind of see that as copper wiring scrap goes up. So does our burglaries or our thefts at our cell phone yeah. towers. So we we kind of figured that pattern out now and some other counties next to us, same thing. They're seeing the same thing as we do as copper prices go up and they're advertising higher prices. We start to see issues with even our homes that are construction, they'll go in there and take it out of the homes. So mm -hmm. we try to keep a better tab on when the copper is increasing. Yeah. It's got to be so frustrating if you're a metal recycler. It's you're running that business of trying to collect all these precious metals type thing, and you're talking about catalytic converters, and you you got to go through. You have some places have policies now where you can only they'll only sell a person, they'll only buy back one catalytic converter per day, right? Yeah, you said catalytic so. converters. You just gave me like the worst headache. Say. <laughs> 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 Those are the bane of my existence, Jason. There's <laughs> Yeah, like, right? And it's just, just something like, man, like, why, do, why do we even know that term? We really shouldn't right? even know that term. Of all the parts on a car, <laughs> we shouldn't know that. But the reason we do yeah. is because they're easy to steal and they're lucrative, right? They're, they're, it's the juice is worth the squeeze to climb underneath there and cut them out of cars that are parked there, right? Right. I'm gonna have to knock on some wood because I have to say, so we had it for a while. I mean, we were getting hit hard and then we made a couple of arrests and that kind of quieted off. And so mm -hmm. I'm kind of like scared to even say anything to you about them. <laughs> but, <laughs> so I don't jinx myself, but yeah, we had that rash of stuff for a while. And then we've kind of luckily not had as many lately. So sure. Sure. Now we'll move on to the construction sites. I guess what's the, the strategy there to try to curve some of these burglaries? So we do have all of our area counties, we do a monthly meeting with the home builders in the area. And mm -hmm. so what they try to get them to do is, 
had their superintendents on the job sites like okay hey at least document when you see certain things like okay hey the new stove and microwave and refrigerator have been delivered because a lot of times they're like oh we don't even know when it got delivered we don't know who delivered it so we're working with those builders home builders trying to say hey if we can get some documentation maybe we can put up some cameras uh, can you at least let us put up a license plate reader at the entrance of the subdivision and things like that so we are trying to do it at at their level to have them help um, what we found is it happens to them so much they just replace it and move on it it doesn't really affect them too much so yeah pass it on to the seller right <laughs> or the right, buyer just, pass it on to the buyer yeah, right just how it goes we do obviously when we have subdivisions that are being heavily worked we new construction in those where they're building several homes at one time our guys are running through there all the time, but they can't be everywhere all the time. Mm -hmm. So that strategy is really to try with the builders to get them to help us out a little more um, than they had been in the past. Yeah. And I would think a challenge for your unit as well is the street file setup in terms of mapping, right? If, if this is a new area, your mapping files might not be up to speed from your records management system. So Miss Ann with our county is just my hero because I don't know how <laughs> she manages to keep up with everything um, on our mapping. And then, of course, uh, we have one of the young ladies in our IT. Heather is also one that keeps up with our mapping for our CAD systems and stuff. And I have to say, they are a lot better at it than I am. <laughs> mm, they make sure good. that they're in there pretty quickly. As soon as they can get those layouts from the builders and things like that they're able to put those in there. So we can at least, at least the main roads, you might not get all the teeny tiny roads in that subdivision, but you're getting those main roads that help us out. Yeah, no, that's, that's fascinating that we just eat it and, and move, move on. Cause I mean, some, you, you talk about lumber, they're, they're not probably reselling that lumber, right? They're probably just using it themselves, the thieves, I would imagine something. Yeah. Right. I mean, and then the, the appliances. Yeah, you could probably sell that pr pretty easily. But uh, we've even yeah. asked them to put trackers on them. Like if you're delivering a new refrigerator and you're not going to be back to the house for a while, can we put a tracker on it? And that way, if it does go missing, we can find it. <laughs> they didn't really like that idea a whole lot. <laughs> well, I would think I'm thinking through the process. To me, I haven't built any homes in my life, so this might not be the case. But if you're delivering appliances, you should be towards the tail end of the construction process. Like you should at least be delivering it to a place that could be locked and and secured, I would think. But I don't I don't know. Are you are you seeing them where they're like they're just delivering them to the area and they're not in a, such a secured location? Uh, most of the time, like you said, you can the doors are on, the windows are there, so they can shut that mm -hmm. up. But what we find is a lot of times that the garage door hasn't been installed yet. So everything's being put <laughs> into the garage. So it's kind of like, well, <laughs> <It's wide open. laughs> you, just, you just go get it out of the garage. Yeah, let's back the that's, truck that's, up. Yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And a lot of times, obviously, these home builders that have subcontractors, everybody drives a white pickup truck. So they're like, oh, yeah, I seen a white pickup truck in here. Well, <laughs> most of our home builders, their subcontractors drive white pickup trucks. So nobody really thinks about any of it. If you see somebody in there during the day moving stuff around, yet they might be robbing you blind, but nobody pays attention because there's so many white work trucks in there. Hmm. I wonder if that they make presents it a problem, too. I wonder if they make an insurance claim. Ridiculous insurances here in Florida. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> Maybe that's why. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, and good for you. You get back to the growth, and you get back into why your unit's expanding. It, it should go hand in hand that you're with more expansion. You're going to have more housing developments, and you're going to. This is a problem that you're probably really only going to see in areas with major growth. Yeah. So we have a subdivision coming in here in the next year. They're actually they've already broken ground on it, and they're putting in four thousand homes. Mm. And for some of the areas. Probably people listening, they're like, oh, that don't sound like a lot. But for our area that was really rural to begin with, that's that's a major, major piece for us. And there's several subdivisions starting in the next two years that are also large amounts of homes coming in. Uh, that's on top of the ones that have already been built and they're in like phase two of those subdivisions as well. So we're getting a lot of people into our county. And one of the things we just talked about is this year we increased from four to six analysts. And this coming fiscal year, I'm asking for two more. And I fully believe we can keep them busy because our county is growing so quickly. Yeah. So, and it, but it's, it can't be difficult because if they're, I mean, if if you're not seeing the full picture, it sounds like in a way because some some people probably report it and others don't. 
And so you probably have no idea how much theft is going on at these construction sites. Correct. And really the only time that they're, and sometimes they're, they're months later when the superintendent comes back in there and says, oh, I'm doing my <laughs> inspection because we're about to close on this house and some of the stuff is gone. So yeah. you don't even really know, you can't even track that trend really and say, okay, well, in the summertime, we're getting hit real hard um, yeah. because we don't really know for such late reporting. Yeah. When did you, when did you last see the washing machine? July. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's Christmas. You're like, geez. Okay, great. <laughs> that's oh. not how it happens though. Oh, geez. And that's, and that's frustrating because again, that there's not really much you could do about that, right? That's not really going to tell you much if you don't have the exact, either a closer time frame. Right. When you're dealing with burglaries and whatnot, with, with back to the car, you were talking about burglaries and cars, right? Well, it's like, oh, I parked there at 2 p.m. and I came back at 4 and my stuff was stolen. So you have a general idea that it had to happen within that two hours. And so you can start doing some analysis. You can start seeing the trends of other, other vehicles being broken into in that area. But when you're talking about months later, like there's not that that date from and date two <laughs> doesn't do you much yes. when it's such a large span so mm. speaking of like trends in the burglary to autos did you see the tiktok video where you can actually steal cars with a usb cable no so we had yes you have to look it up so there's this tiktok trend that started a while back at least at the beginning of last year where this video surfaces where you can steal certain vehicles, certain Kias and certain Hyundais by using a USB cable, the end of a USB cable into the ignition. So we've seen that trend here in our county. And it's kind of just funny that our little old county could have this piece of this big trend that's going on nationwide. So hmm. my favorite part of all of that, though, is people with their Ring doorbell cameras. I love Ring part of my favorite thing because they're constantly posting videos like hey here's these kids walking it's a group of five or six seven teenagers and they're just walking around the neighborhood so at least with the burglary to autos we message out all the time we have this whole like it lock it at 9 p.m the 9 p.m routine that we put out on our social media all the time our news our local news stations put it out remember that whole it's 10 o'clock do you know where your kids are yeah well now <laughs> now we do the whole nine o'clock go lock your car in your house thing yeah <laughs> yeah, um, so we've tried to do some public service announcements on that to like make sure people lock their cars because today isn't the same as it was even five years ago and trying to do some of that educational piece so that we don't have so many burglaries to our autos because we don't have as many smash and grabs as we do just crime of opportunity for these kids to open your door that's not locked yeah well that's what i was just going to get with the tiktok video <laughs> is that something where there are they're not breaking in per se like smashing the window and then stealing the car it's probably already a lock and then was it a special cable that they were using to to then start the car just the regular end of a usb cable so the usb side of the cable didn't matter if it was a phone charger or whatever just using the usb side that goes into the plug that goes into the wall but it's only certain vehicles, and they actually recalled the Kias and the Hyundais to do a update so that they could fix that issue. But then that happened, and there were so many people trying to do the recall that they couldn't get them all in. So yeah. while this trend was going, those were hot cars to to hit. So And some of them here in our county, what, they did smash like the back window because mm -hmm. it, I guess, didn't trigger the alarm to the car. Um, I think we only had one that was a successful theft of the car with the USB. And I think that we actually recovered that car here in our county, but it's stolen out of another county. So maybe we're just not as smart as other people. I don't know, man. That would be such an, like, you watch it on YouTube and then you go do it. I was like, oh, it works. <laughs> like, I would be so excited. I mean, not that I'm going out to steal cars, but I would be really excited right. <laughs> if it actually worked, right? It's like, when I, when I was in high school, this is back in the 90s, we used to be able to make a telephone call with a payphone using a paperclip. We would be able uh -oh. to shock the bottom receiver somehow talk, would allow you to make a, a call. And that like that was the coolest thing. We would just always have a paperclip handy and we would be able to call home before cell phones and say, hey, can you come pick me up? <laughs> kind of yeah. thing I was about and, to when say. That, and when that worked the first time I was like no way no I was way. like so excited that it that it worked but in this case I would be like whoa let's start a car with a USB some of the conversation we've had here in the office was like who just sits around and tries these things like who said let me stick this USB cable into this ignition and see if it works yeah. like you know yeah and it might have been like mechanics or whatnot, right? Yeah. People that are doing Probably. diagnostics in it, maybe they accidentally did it. Like, oh, 
I didn't even have this plugged in. I was a, it just overrode the the safety in it, and I was able to start the car. It might have been just an accident. Yeah, probably. Huh. <laughs> and they filmed it, and then somebody took it from there. This is Michelle Snow, and just want you to remember to build trust with integrity. You didn't do the dishes? Well, no, I was busy doing other chores, but my completed chores is up five in the last seven days. Yeah, but you're still down 13 over the last 28 days. Well, I see your shopping purchases is up 20% this month. My spending is still down year to date. In fact, my black shoe purchases are half of what they were this time last year. Well, thank goodness last year wasn't a normal year. Plus, I bought you new underwear, so your clothes purchases is up 40% this month compared to last month. Oh, wait. There were no clothes purchases the previous month, Miss Perfect. I didn't know you had the ability to divide by zero. You should be happy. Your temperature-led policing program has worked great in this house. I have not touched your precious thermostat in the last six months. Millions of homes in the U.S. are impacted by people wanting to be comfortable in their homes. Temperature-led policing control the temperature, control the cost. All right. Well, hey, I want to move on to your analyst badge story because now we're developing this unit. You got this unit and now you're, you get assigned a murder case. So I want to get into yeah. how this new unit stepped up and helped out with this case. I cannot speak highly enough about these ladies that stepped into this case. It was very, it was a large case for us here in our county, just because it had so many players involved and it's still an ongoing case. So I kind of got to be a little careful here, but mm -hmm. yeah, so we get this case, we've worked on it for months. So a middle part of last year and with all of us being relatively new analysts or new analysts, we weren't hundred percent sure where to even start. Like, okay, the detectives came in and, Hey, I think I need this. I think I have that. And we were like, okay, so working through a couple of small things. And then the ladies would find a clue because at the time we didn't know who was involved in the murder. All we had to go on was a description of a vehicle and they, the people who witnessed it wasn't even sure that the vehicle was involved. So we started looking through LPRs and some of the ladies were able to find a vehicle that they thought was a match. So, okay, put that puzzle piece down. They kept on working and started to find other pieces and some connections with that vehicle that we could connect back to the location of our murder. And those ladies just kept on and kept on. And to see them get excited when they would reach milestones in this case was really fun for me makes my little manager heart proud and uh, <laughs> to see how excited they were to continue. There would be days we, our days normally end at five and it would be like five thirty, five forty-five, and they're still going and be like, okay, Hey, you guys gotta go home. We, we can pick it up tomorrow, but they were so excited about it. But the really defining moment for us was they were going through some surveillance video from our partners at ring doorbell. And they, at this point, we still hadn't identified any of the suspects and there's this kid on the video and he's coming through and they were able to identify a, a, a very small piece. I don't even know how the analyst seen this small piece of evidence on the ground when she did. Cause when I first watched the video, I've watched it three or four times. I still didn't see it. She was just able to pick up this very small piece of evidence that basically linked that individual with a Facebook photo of an individual that we thought was involved. That was a huge win for us when she did that. They were able to move the video forward and actually get a good visual on that piece of evidence. And lo and behold, the suspect was wearing it in a picture that they took and put on social media right after mm. the incident had occurred. And it was really that nail in the coffin, so to speak, for us to start putting those people in that location. Here mm. we are, we have it on video. We're able to find these pieces that really solidified that for us. So I'm proud to say that our uh, just yesterday dropped some search warrants for the DNA on some individuals, and we have gotten stuff back where we are about to drop warrants for the murder on there. And like I said, we're still working that case, and the analysts are still going through that. But they really, that was a big win for us. And I think you've seen their confidence level just skyrocket from there that, hey, we have a team that's new, but we can do this. Yeah. Hmm. So I, was it like a piece of jewelry? Is that what it was? Um, you're not allowed to tell me. It was, it was kind of, kind of like a, I don't even know how you would, like a tag on a, on a piece of clothing. Um, oh, okay. You know how, you know how some kids, they, like the trend was, they used to always cut the tag on the hat. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so this is kind of like that with the shoes. There's a certain oh, brand of shoe, I guess, that had okay. this tag. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, so it's, so dis- it's that- distinct enough that when you saw it, you could link it to to the other photos. I, I'm on board now. Okay. Yes. And I, I, it's a very small piece, though. Like, I don't even know how she's seen it. And honestly, like I said, I watched the video like three or four times. And she, I finally said, okay, you have to show me where it's at because I'm not <laughs> seeing what you're seeing. And she's like, right here. <laughs> like, you know, come on, are you blind? And I was like, oh, that? And she's like, yeah. So, of course, we're all huddled around one laptop computer screen and looking at it. We're like, okay. So they slow it down and she's able to go. She's like, okay, look at this picture here. This is like the the a few hours after the incident had occurred and there it is. you're like yep that's it sure enough once you see it in the other picture where you got a clear view of it you definitely yeah it was definitely it now, were so you, that was exciting did were you able to recover that they that, have they i don't think that we have actually went and got that yet okay. as it turns out the suspect for that was wearing that particular thing was also killed later on so oh. i don't think we have yeah <laughs> mm. i don't think we have that piece for that right now okay Hmm. No, that's that's interesting. It yeah. is it is it is fascinating when you when you think back and you uh, you get that either really good case or you get that first buy-in from from other sworn officers or other coworkers that when you're an analyst and you're just new and you you get that either really juicy case or you get that first thing like oh okay I see your value now. <laughs> that's that's a really awesome feeling. It is and that unit. So our the robbery homicide unit here at the sheriff's office has always been ones that keep to themselves. Like they're like, nope, we got it. We don't need no help. And we have one detective who we always cut up with here in the office and stuff like that. And he transferred over to RHU and was like, hey, you guys got to give these girls a chance. Like they're great. So a couple of them kind of kept migrating down here. They talk and then we catch this case and they're like, okay, show us what you got. And mm-hmm. Now those detectives are in and out all the time, just, just to check in like, Hey, how's it going? You know? So that's a really great feeling too, where you get that buy-in from a group that is really, they didn't really like outsiders, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. I want to move on to just maybe some of your advice that you have. You talk, We talked yesterday in the prep call about just the, you know, some, a little bit of the growing pains that you went through starting this unit and maybe some things that you would, uh, advise if somebody else is is in a similar position starting a unit what advice you would have for them (laughs) yeah so i think the first thing i i wish i would have had was a little bit of direction from our command of where they wanted this unit to go what they wanted from this unit and it's not really their fault either they were brand new coming in as well because Mm -hmm. we had we had had that election of the new sheriff and so they're trying to come in and get their feet wet and things like that too so trying to build a new unit with a brand new command staff who are just trying to get their feet under them themselves was kind of difficult. So yeah, first advice is have a plan, find out where, mm-hmm. what they're, what, what do they want overall? You might not be able to achieve all of that right away. Lord knows we're still building ours, but mm-hmm. definitely have, have a target because just kind of shooting and wandering is really kind of crazy. <laughs> mm. Because you didn't have one, did you establish one in, in, in your mind, even if it's not written down as like, okay, in in end of year one, this is where I expect to be or year three or whatever you had time-wise in your head. Yeah. So my goals were very lofty. I was like, yeah, I'm going to get all this done. I'm going to hire some people. I'm going to have the best unit. I was very lucky because I had another analyst. She had used, she used to work for our agency here. She left and went to um, a state agency it kind of helped. She was my sister too. So <laughs> what's, what's um, your sister's name? Yeah. Her name's Connie Martin and she works for yeah. FDLE here with the state mm-hmm. of Florida. So, and she's a fantastic analyst and she was an analyst while I was doing my records managing and my UCR managing. So she was here at the agency and she went through a lot of the classes and all, and she knew what it needed to be super smart girl. So I kind of leaned on her too, like, Hey, this is what I'm thinking from just being a supervisor standpoint. I want to have a good team that depends on each other and has a good camaraderie and things like that. But in terms of crime analysis, what do I need? Where where do we kind of need to go from here? And she was able to give some of that insight and kind of things that she had seen with the old unit that we definitely did not want to repeat. So I was able to lean on her. And then Michelle Snow, who has been on your show, Mm-hmm. Um, Michelle had been here with us here at the sheriff's office and she's super smart. And even now she gives me advice if I need it, call her. I seen her at the CJS conference this past year and we kind of reconnected there and she was asking how things were going. And so 
networking is a huge thing. That would also was, be my advice too for. Yeah, what was the conference? I'm sorry, I didn't pick that up. The CJS conference. Oh. Okay. Uh, with FDLE. There, yes. yeah. That was the first time I had seen Michelle in about a year. We normally just text or kind of keep up with each other every now and then with that. So that networking piece is huge for either new analysts, uh, whether you're the supervisor, having having that support system of analysts is phenomenal. And I will tell you, I use the IACA website, which is the International mm-hmm. Association of Crime Analysts. I use their board all the time. The the one here for Florida, I'm a member of that and we use that support system a lot. So I would definitely mm-hmm. say if you're, even if you're not new, even if you've been doing this for a while and you've just kind of been sitting in your hole, get out there and <laughs> man network. Cause you just, we met a couple people with a ICAC op we were doing and that worked for Homeland Security. Matt Malumbi, I don't know if you know Matt, but he's super awesome. And we learned that they can do some of the reporting that we were having to go outside and wait three or four or five days for, they can do in-house in like a matter of minutes. So making that connection with Matt, we reach out to him every now and then when we need something quicker than what we can wait three or four days, that's fine. We'll do it ourselves. But if we can't, we reach out to them. So network, network, network. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Michelle uh, Snow, is that's a good person to follow. She had a fascinating story. So what other things did you, were you able to overcome with, with this unit? Cause it, it is fascinating to me that you're, you're starting out with this unit, which creating a unit from scratch is always a difficult endeavor, but to do it with so many newbies, it's, it's, a, yeah. it's like an added level of difficulty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And with our agency, unfortunately, the unit had a poor reputation, one that no one wanted to come around around the people that were in it. They didn't want to walk in the door and ask for anything. So having to overcome that was very difficult as well. On top of you have a brand new analyst and none of us really know what to do. <laughs> having a bad reputation was even worse. When, when I first got the supervisor position, they're like, oh, where are you going? I'm like, oh, I'm taking over crime analysis. And they're like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Like, it was like a death sentence, you know? <laughs> I'm like, it's not that bad. It's not going to be that bad. And they're like, oh. So that was another thing that we had to overcome was just the reputation that the, the former unit had. Mm. So one of the things we did to kind of overcome that was we did a crime analysis open house where I like to bribe people, Jason, with food. So <laughs> we sent out an invitation. We're like, hey, we're going to have an open house. We're going to have refreshments and drinks. And you guys come by, at least just grab you something to eat. We made like little go bags for the patrol guys that were on duty. Nice. And like 84 people stopped by. And we were like, holy nice. cow, we wasn't even expecting 20. And yeah. a lot of them were our patrol guys who were like, I've never seen you guys. I've never been in this room. So that was fun, but <laughs> just that overcame that whole, oh, this is really a not great unit reputation. So we were able to do that pretty quickly. Oh, that's a, that's um, a good idea. And goodie bags are, that's a nice touch. Not only listen, you if you food right there in front yeah, of you, but hey, here's something to take home. That's right. We had things like, one of the girls had made cheesecake bites. We had like meatballs. We had all kinds nice. of stuff. Like they yeah. could actually come here and eat. Yeah. So our guys, we're all, we're all the same. We all like, if you bribe me with food, I'm coming. So another, I think another challenge, like I said, that we overcame was a new command staff where people were being still put into positions where everybody wasn't real sure you, know, you had been in that position before. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have a great command staff. Uh, the sh- sheriff cook here in our county is phenomenal. Um, she uh, brought only a couple people with her when she came in and she left our local people in place, which I think helped with the stability. Mm-hmm. So we were able to kind of overcome that right away too, and kind of jump off and go ahead and get started with moving forward with the unit, even though we did have new people in, even in the command spots that a couple of them were new to the patrol side, or they were new to the investigation side. They weren't sure what they needed from us either. So having a few of those that were in those positions before and just moved up the ranks was great. Yeah, no, that's, a, that's a stressful situation. Right. Whether it's <laughs> well, whether it's a new sheriff or it's a new police chief like that's right. Yeah. That's that's stressful. So here for us, it's every four years. So, yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a little stressful. Yeah. Right. And I I think for the crime analysis unit, many units in this country, they're not part of the standard operating procedure of the department. So what their day to day operations are, what their focus is can be changed on a whim, especially you get new leadership. And so that can be a little bit daunting that, okay, I got new management. I might have a new whole set of to-dos to do moving forward. Yeah, I was just sitting here while you were 
going over that, I was thinking, oh, you know, one of the things that I think we had to overcome too is what the expectation was from people, what they thought crime analysis was. They're like, oh yeah, you guys just pull numbers for us. This unit, we don't just pull numbers. We do a lot of the intel work too. So I think trying to overcome that part of it too is, oh, you guys just pull numbers is a big piece for us because a lot of what we do now is more on the intel side versus the number side. So that was a piece to overcome as well. Yeah, well, I think the more folks you have, the more people are reading reports and consuming data and being able to understand what the trends are, right? If you're just looking at numbers, you're only going to get a certain portion of the picture. Right. Yep. We have a group that every morning when we come in and read reports, you're like, yep, there's little Johnny again. You're seeing, the same, you're seeing the same people over and over and over again. And so with being able to read those reports every morning, you're, like you said, you're seeing the whole picture. And if you're assigned to zone one, you get boxed into, okay, what's only going on in zone one. So mm-hmm. our ladies, every Monday we round table at our CAU huddle and, okay, tell me what's going on in your side of the county. What's, what's going mm-hmm. on in your zone in the county so that we can all kind of keep up with with that big picture, we produce a report every three weeks that goes out to the command that we call our clay star. And that's part of what we do now is yes, here's the numbers, but this is what's really happening under those numbers. It is little Johnny and his group of misfits over here. It's this and that. <laughs> I say that because that's kind of how it is. Little Johnny does have misfits. So let's get to talking about hiring then, because I, I do find it fascinating that you hired so many in such a short period of time. When you're Going through this process of hiring these folks, was it was it basically the all the same uh, process? And what I mean by that was pretty much you had the announcement. Most of the announcements were exactly the same. Or was it a situation where you had, all right, we know this person's uh, going to be working in patrol, so we we're going to tailor this whole hiring process to that aspect of it was it more general or did you have certain certain positions in mind yeah so we had at the time we had three open positions and based off of what i knew i didn't want from the former side we did put out the generic hey we want a crime analyst and you need to be able to do xyz all the crime analyst things to get that applicant pool in and then but to be honest with you my hiring style was probably not (laughs) <laughs> what everybody else does, mm-hmm. where they're looking like, oh, yeah, you're the best qualified to be the crime analyst. I look for the personality and that teamwork side because I can teach you crime analysis, right? We can all learn crime analysis from books. We have classes that we take, things like that. But I can't teach you to be a decent person. I can't teach you a work ethic. I can't teach you that team camaraderie or always wanting to support the sheriff's office goals and the mission that we have in our community. So I looked for people in my interview that their personality really came through and I knew it would fit with what I already had in the room, which the very first person was just me and my coworker, Nancy. Uh, So the first person like, yeah, this this person's going to fit in great with me and her because there's just two of us. Mm -hmm. And as we got more people in the room and you learn those personalities, I really looked for people that would fit with our team and what I wanted to accomplish in the first year, which was build the team, have them at least like each other, and let's support the the community initiatives that the sheriff's office had. We exceeded that within just a few short months. I think we were about four or five months in, and we had a full team. The very first sheriff's office community event, which we all love, it's very near and dear to our heart, is the torch run for the Special Olympics. All six of my ladies were like, we're in. We, we want to do this, which was a big change from the previous um, set of analysts that were in here. Um, So achieving that really quickly um, was great, but we couldn't have done that without hiring really great people. So Mm -hmm. yes, we put out for the regular crime analysts, but I actually looked for people who wanted to be here. With that idea of trying to make sure that the the new hire is going to be a good fit, or some of the questions you asked, or what was your process in trying to evaluate whether that person was going to be a good fit? Okay, don't laugh at me. Because this is going to be, this is legit. I'm not, (laughs) this really happens in interviews with me. So we have an interview panel. There's normally two other um, people besides me. Uh, I usually sit in the middle chair, that whole thing, bring Mm -hmm. our um, applicant in. And right off the bat, he's, good morning. How are you? Or good afternoon. Mm -hmm. And as soon as they tell me what college they went to, because our requirement is to have a degree, a four-year degree. 
And if it's a school that I recognize for like football and stuff, I'm like, all right, are you a Gator fan? Because you guys, I'm a huge Florida Gator fan. Go Gators. So immediately they're like, oh, I'm a Aggie or I'm a FSU. So of course you guys in Florida know that Florida State is our big rival. Mm-hmm. And immediately I'm like, all right, well, you're disqualified or whatever. And I laugh. I'm like, I'm just kidding. And if, if they stand there and look at me like, oh my God, she's crazy. You know, I'm like, okay, I've got to try to protect it. But if they like jump in, they're like, ha ha ha, yeah, oh yeah. And they're willing to embrace that kind of silliness in an interview. I kind of take it from there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. that's kind of how I get that. I want them to open up quickly. Like mm-hmm. we don't have to be completely professional this whole 25 minutes that we're sitting in this interview. Like show me some personality because you guys know that any of you guys that have hired for crime analysis, these questions are boring. Like what is mm-hmm. mean, median, and mode? Can you give me the statistics? Standard deviation, yeah. yada, yada, yada. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of hard to see somebody's personality in that, right? Like, yeah, standard deviation is, you know. But if you start talking about football or this one lady I interviewed, she's like, oh, I have, and I have a dog. I'm like, oh, what kind of dog? And so you get talking about dogs and things like that. And you, you kind of pull out that personality. So I was able to see, okay, hey, all of the ladies that work with me are dog lovers. So <laughs> that works out. Just so you guys don't get offended, I do hire Florida State fans and Texas A&M people. Like I hire other people, okay? Yeah, so, HR, yeah. HR meeting after this interview. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> like, don't worry, guys, we hire everybody. Yeah. I think it's a particular challenge with with some folks as well. I, I I think when you talk about some folks that some of the traits that they have about being well read or being maybe good with numbers or whatever it is, there's also that thing that you get some more likelihood of folks that may be on more on the shire side or maybe be introverted. So it it can yeah. be difficult to like have people come out of their shell, especially in that situation where what's your average interview time is what you probably only have certain amount of time to make that impression. And like 20 minutes, man. Yeah. And it's like speed dating and you have to make that. (laughs) And and some people are just naturally going to be good at that. And then others, man, they're going to struggle with, with that concept. I like the speed dating um, analogy. Yeah, that's that's it exactly. Yeah. How many pe- folks did you interview? So you the first couple, the first couple times we only got mm-hmm. like four or five applicants just this week on Monday, we had 21 applicants and we interviewed 17 wow. for one position. Yeah. That <laughs> so, is yeah. a lot. Yes. Man. Yes, it is. That is the most applicants I've ever had for one of the positions in the time that I've been here at Crime Analysis. So that was kind of exciting too, which I can't yeah. take credit for that. <laughs> yeah. Our our pay raise, our base pay was um, raised a significant amount. So that put us to be in line with the other agencies around us. And so mm. that made us competitive. So I think that really helped us. Um, and that was all of our sheriff because uh, in the past we didn't have that. So mm. her increasing that across the board for everybody has helped our applicant pool, not only for my positions here at Crime Analysis, but in patrol and our everybody, our crime scene techs, everything. It mm-hmm. increased that pool of, of talent. So I'm thankful for that from her. Now, do you, in hindsight, do you wish that you would have reduced the number of people you brought in for an interview? I mean, that, that, 17, inter, to interview yeah. 17 people for one position, I mean, that's a lot of time and effort. Yes. So... Um, our, our chief and, uh, Nancy, my, uh, PIC, which is my, my right-hand man, I call her my wingman. Uh, mm-hmm. we had a discussion, okay, 17 is just way too many. So one of the things we want to do is try to do like a, a survey that goes out to all the applicants that make the first cutoff with the qualifi- minimum qualifications there, and then maybe send something out and say, Hey, fill this out so that we can kind of weed them out. 17, I can tell you, we literally only had about a 30 minute lunch break <laughs> because wow. we had so many in 20 minutes, like you said, and then some people talk. So the interview ran really long. And at one mm-hmm. point we were like 30 minutes behind. Um, yeah. So way, way too many. I don't, I don't recommend that to anybody. <laughs> no, that's, that is, that is a lot. And it's, it is it's a lot difficult to, yeah, to do the, you do the whole speed damage, especially when you're probably, are you required by HR to ask the same questions? Yes. Yes, we are. <laughs> uh, see, that gets, I mean, like, man, that is, that gets a lot too, because you probably got your, you got your questions in front of you and you got, you asked the questions and, 
a lot of times you're probably hearing similar answers. And so to hear it the first time or the first two times is not a problem, but to hear it the 15th or 16th time, (laughs) you're like, oh my goodness. Yep. That's a, that could be draining. We ended up having um, a conversation with our HR and was like, look, and you're interviewing obviously a morning time and a evening time schedule. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm a lot better in the morning. So I score people differently in the morning than I score in the afternoon. That's probably horrible to say, but mm-hmm. I'm fresh and I'm good. Then I've ate lunch and now I'm like, okay, I'm ready to go home. So we're like, hey, we, we would really like to bring our top six back to do a second interview because I don't feel that we were able to really, I guess, score people the way I would like to with having so many. So we decided to bring our top six back and we for a secondary interview. And that's the first time that I've been able to do that here as well. Normally they're like, okay, whatever person you pick, that's it. So I was super excited that they let us do that, but that's a change for us too. But in the future, yes, I I don't want to interview that many people ever again. Yeah. In one day at least. Now it doesn't have to be necessarily this set of interviews, but I'm just, I have a segment of the show, like, don't be that analyst. And so I'm curious to know, (laughs) it's like, if you think back at it, you're going to interviews as like, what's the, maybe what's that one example without giving out too much, we don't want to certainly call the person out, but is there, is there one particular one that is like, oh, that was a really bad answer to that question? Yeah. (laughs) This one person was telling us about the video games that he plays and he's probably, he's definitely older. He's not a a younger kid. And uh, he's telling me, he's like, yeah, I live with my mom and I play video games all day. And I'm like, oh Lord, (laughs) nothing wrong playing video games, but you might not want to say that in a job interview. Yeah. It was just, it was bad. (laughs) <laughs> oh man, yeah. Sometimes you don't don't connect, and that, and that could be frustrating too for people that are in the position trying to get jobs, trying to do everything they can, either education wise or just put their best foot forward, and to just get there and realize that you're just not a good fit for the team. Like that's a that's a hard pill to swallow. You know what I found in this set of interviews, Jason, that I found kind of I don't want to say sad, but kind of sad mm-hmm. is that we do not teach in schools, college, high school, whatever it is, interview skills. So when I first came through, they're like, okay, hey, you got to sell yourself. Tell me why I need to hire you. Mm-hmm. So sitting through these interviews, we had a lot of individuals who had just graduated college. And they're 19, 18, 19, 20 years old. And I don't think that they are ever given that speech of, hey, sell yourself to me. So mm-hmm. one of the individuals that we had interviewed had interned with us here at the agency, uh, and we knew knew him very well. And I knew all these great things that he could do. And in the interview, he just kind of froze up, was nervous and just didn't sell himself some of the skills he had. So I think anybody listening that have a conversation with your kids and anybody that you can help if you're mentoring anybody, tell them, sell themselves in those interviews. This one kid has all kinds of like art GIS mapping and just all the stuff that he learned in school. And we didn't get any of that out of him. And I was like, oh, if I didn't know any better, I would have never have known that this kid would probably be a good fit for us. So yeah. I think that's one thing that we fail at here is, and not here just at the agency, but all around at schools and stuff like that, because we don't prepare these kids for a great interview. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Sean Bear would say, have your portfolio ready and show them what you're able to do and have that three ring binder and everything else. That's what one of his main things we did. Sean and I did a whole series on his his guide to hiring a law enforcement analyst. So I'll, I'll put a link to that that page on our website in, in the show notes if folks are interested in, in listening to that series. So, all right, you speaking of colleges, does, and I mean, I mean, the the college, how much do you think the college impacts your decision? And what I basically mean by that is a degree from maybe University of Florida or Florida State versus maybe a school with that you maybe never heard of in a different whole different part of the country. How much how much does that impact your decision in terms of just the college? comparing colleges to these applicants. So all joking aside, even though I love my Gators, it, to me, it doesn't really matter. I did not go to a university. My four-year degree is from a state college, Mm St. John's River State College here um, in our county. Um, It has gotten me just as far as if I had a degree from the University of Florida. So for me personally, as long as you have the degree, it 
I don't, for what I try to hire for, that doesn't really make or break it for me. I do know that there have been boards that I have sat on for interviews where the individuals were like, yeah, that's like just an online basket weaving degree. And yeah, we're not interested. And I, I kind of always felt like, well, they at least took the time to do it. So mm-hmm. in, in my personal opinion and how I hire that, it doesn't really affect anything that I hire for. I think about that from time to time because you, you get, you sometimes I'll be advising people on, on degrees or I'm, I have kid, my, my son's in ninth grade now. And to me, I think often about my, my education. I'm from a state school in Pennsylvania. And where I'm at now and some of my coworkers, I mean, we all have these different degrees, but what they paid for their education versus what I paid for mine is really <laughs> right. vastly different. Right. And I, I, I get to the whole different thing. So I was like, it's like, man, is it that does that degree are you thinking about that you have to go to a certain school or how much return on investment is it worth spend that extra cash to go <laughs> to a, a certain university? Right. When at oh, the end yeah. of the day, it's like, okay, are you checking the box? Do you have a four-year degree? Got it. Right. Okay, now you're <laughs> right. talking about, okay, are you a good fit? What's your personality type thing? And you, those are some of the, you're, you're not the first person that's come on this show and talked about interpersonal skills, right? And I, mm-hmm. I do think that we don't teach those. We don't even teach those at these conferences, right? We don't teach folks how, like key concepts in presenting and and talking mm-hmm. and salesmanship. I mean, those all this, a lot of these, you look at some of these uh, conferences, they're not teaching any of that stuff. And yet I'm talking to other people that are hiring and they're putting weight on some of this stuff that's not even being, really not taught anywhere. Correct, yeah. Going back to the whole degree thing, it kind of came to me, I was like, hmm, I guess if I was hiring for like a brain surgeon, I would definitely want a University of Florida <laughs> brain surgeon over like an online one. So yeah, I guess in certain positions, your degree might matter where it's from. So yeah, that kind of came to me, kind of made me laugh. Yeah, yeah. No, I, and I get certainly get that. But I mean, I think some of these things when you're talking about either IT or especially a communication, some of these, uh, even criminal justice, right? I mean, if you're... <laughs> I mean, there might be opportunities in terms of professors or where where you you can intern that might help you networking wise. But in terms of the education, I mean, I'm not sure what uh, a criminal justice degree from one degree, one university over the other. I'm not sure really how big a difference that is. Right. Yeah, I agree. And your point about we don't we're not teaching these skills even to career people in these conferences. (laughs) I just don't even know how how that would even go. I had a class that I just took um, taking my instructor course so that I could teach classes here at the sheriff's office. And the amount of adults that were like just having a whole panic attack over just talking to a a group of four or five people was Mm -hmm. amazing to me. and I was like, man, I guess I just had the gift of gab, I guess. And so it's easier for me. But I started presenting. I can remember having to do like speech class and stuff in like junior high and high school. Mm-hmm. So I guess maybe that is something you're right that we probably need to bring back so that you have adults that can do it and children who aren't. If I asked my junior in high school right now, like, hey, can you stand <laughs> up and talk to 15 people? He'd probably pass out. <laughs> probably couldn't do it. <laughs> no, and it it is. Look, it's not easy, but it's and some of it it comes with doing and it comes with maturity. You get to the yep. point where those little things don't matter anymore. I get, I don't know what the breakdown of is like. Oh, I'm just older, and those those things don't get to me versus the process of actually going through it multiple times. Right. I don't know what that balance is. I just know that I I had a lot of high anxiety when I was growing up. I would have been one of those people that you just mentioned there. Like I I talked on the show a lot that I I had a hard time calling my uncle on the phone and saying, hey, hi, this is Jason. Like that was something yeah. that I had to practice multiple times before I made the call. And there's came a point in my late 20s where that just kind of went away. And I, I'm not really sure what combination of factors played into me getting over it it just i just got over it right so so that's that's interesting so all right well let's finish up with personal interest then and for you speaking of kids you're a sports mom 
I am. So I am the mom of three wonderful teenagers. My son is 17 and he plays baseball. My oldest daughter is 14 and she plays softball. And my youngest daughter is 12 and she does competitive cheer and junior high cheer. So they keep me busy. But when I'm not watching their sports, I'm a sports fan. Anyway, clearly I'm a Gator fan. So Gator football mm-hmm. and Gator baseball. College, college ball is my life with my kids. So yeah, they keep me running around. Like next weekend, we're in Savannah for a cheer competition. Yeah, that's one things, man. The, <laughs> yeah. The, when you have those all day events, man, you're doing three of them. So my my daughter's in <laughs> volleyball, so I I get a little bit of a taste from that. But geez, like when I hear some of these parents talk about, especially when you get to the travel leagues, and they're talking about yes. traveling the whole entire weekend, I was like, I'm not sure yeah. what you like. That's a that's a huge commitment to just uh, be traveling and spending your whole entire Saturday and Sunday at the ball fields or the skating rink or whatever it is. Yep. So with my son, when he plays summer ball and stuff, we literally, it looks like we're camping because you got the tent, you got the chairs, you got the cooler of snacks, you got the fans because mm-hmm. it's Florida and it's hot. Sure. <laughs> it literally, you pack the whole house to go for two days. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then yeah. of course it, it's Florida in the summer, so it rains. So you got to have yeah. this and you got to have that. It's just, yeah. Oh. It's a lot, but I wouldn't trade it for anything. Same yeah. thing with my, my daughter that, that's played softball. It's the same thing with her. And then at least on the cheer side, you're inside and it's air conditioning, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, but, a, that's a, that's a definitely a big advantage. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I actually like the cheer side a slight bit better in the summertime. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm quite partial to the air conditioning. All right. Yeah. Now, Hey, so you talk about college football and Gators. So, I mean, are we, uh, are we expecting Alabama not to be Alabama now that Saban's gone? Right? Goodness gracious. <laughs> <laughs> I, I felt bad for Alabama fans because I know I, I'm going to date myself, but that's okay. I know how it felt when Steve Spurrier retired for the Gators. Uh, and it's just like yeah. your whole, your whole dynasty just collapsed right there. Yeah. Um, I, I, yeah, I don't anticipate Alabama being quite as strong as they have been in the past, but I, I don't think they're going to be down very long. Oh man. So I've been, I've been rooting against Alabama for a long time. I just get, I just get to the point where I just hate seeing the same teams in it every year. And so I've been rooting right. against Alabama for a long time because they're <laughs> constant, constantly in it. And I'm really looking forward to that four loss Alabama team. <laughs> I'm really like, like <laughs> I must admit, I was like, oh, I can't wait to see that four loss, maybe five or six loss. Man, I'm really looking forward to that team. Welcome to how the other half of us live. Yeah, yeah. so, man. But, but, hey, and I'm also hoping that it's, like, more competitive now in the SEC. Like, you might have teams here and there, like, like rotate through. It's not the same teams year in and year out. So, we'll, we'll see. Yeah, I'm, I'm really hoping my Gators come back out tough, at least at some point. Like, we yeah. really, come on, guys. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to need some uh, effort out of you guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, all right, very good. Well, our last segment of the show is Words to the World. And this is where you can promote any idea that you want. Mandy, what are your words to the world? You guys, be kind. I work in a world where people say just the hatefulest things to everybody. And you never know what somebody is going through. And even just a smile in a line. I know we're from the South and people always tease us from the South. You know, you talk to people and all, but you never know what somebody's going through. And having to deal with some of the stuff that we deal with on a day-to-day basis in, in law enforcement, just be kind. Very good. Will I leave every guest with you've given me just enough to talk bad about you later? Yep, sure. (laughs) But I do appreciate (laughs) you being on the show, Mandy. Thank you so much. And you be safe. Yes, Jason. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for making it to the end of another episode of Analyst Talk with Jason Elder. You can show your support by sharing this and other episodes found on our website at www.leapodcasts.com. If you have a topic you would like us to cover or have a suggestion for our next guest, please send us an email at leapodcasts at gmail.com. Till next time, analysts, keep talking.